You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Amen. Remain standing. And I want you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and our leaders are heading out with the kids. It's always uh, good to see a good group of children heading out. And I love the kids, but it's good to see them leaving and knowing that they're going to be in good hands and have a good time. And Bethany just gave me a thumbs up. That means we have this. We got it. And there goes Silas, my little artist. <laughs> Silas was last Sunday doing something, and, and, and I wonder what he was doing. The next thing, he had a picture of the Roadrunner. And I tell you, it looked like a professional had drawn this picture of the Roadrunner. And then a few minutes later, he had a phone. He was looking at, a, at an image of, a, it seemed like a rhino. It was a rhinoceros. And he was sitting there, and he was drawing this rhinoceros. And I thought to myself, you know how gifted, children are gifted. Each one of them, God has gifted them and pointed them in a direction. Parent, your and I responsibility is to train them up in the way. And that word way is the Hebrew for bent. God has bent our children, gifted them. It's our responsibility to, to grasp that bent and then begin to steer them in that direction of what God may do in them. Uh, so it's just a blessing to be here today. Take your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 12. I, I've titled the message, I, I thank John online, uh, A World Without the Resurrection. But I kind of subtitled it, is it worth the risk? A world without the resurrection, is it worth the risk? And I'll explain in a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning at verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that He raised Christ from the dead. But He did not raise Him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ. We are to be pitied more than all men. Let's pray again. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And we pray that you bless the reading of your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. You can be seated. I did a little investigation because I wanted to uh, 
once again look at this story. A while back, there was a young man, I think he was probably about 16 years of age. His name was Tyree Sampson. Tyree Sampson was from St. Louis, and he was in Orlando, Florida, visiting a friend. They decided to go to the Icon Park there in Orlando, and they were going to get on what they called the Free Fall Tower. Uh, I, I was in the Army back in the 1970s, and I remember in officer school, they had, uh, there in jump school, I didn't get to jump school. I was in love with Sheila and didn't want to give the three weeks to go to jump school, so I came home. Uh, I love Sheila, but I wish I'd have gone to jump school. But anyway, they had what they call a 250-foot free fall tower where they teach you how to parachute and out of that came a ride and here at the Icon Park there in Orlando they have the free fall tower. This young man Tyree Sampson visiting friends there in Orlando from St. Louis was in the tower when he began to fall out and he fell and it's actually on video he fell to his death. He slipped out of the ride came out and plummeted to his death. You know, I thought to myself, you know, I, I'll say it again. A world without the resurrection, but is Christianity, is it worth the risk? You know, that young man, Tyree Sampson, no doubt, he came to that ride. And I don't know about you, but you know a lot of rides have warnings, don't they? Those that have cardiovascular problems, those that have any kind of heart arrhythmia problem, those that may be COPD, those that have whatever those problems may be, sometimes they'll have a little uh, sign that says if you're below this height, you can't get on the ride. You know, some of them have warnings, and I'm sure that Tyree with his friends was looking at all of these warnings. But let me tell you, the people on that ride were screaming, get me off this ride, get me off. They were screaming. The workers began to begin to question each other. Did you make sure the light was on? Was it secure? Shut down the park, shut down everything and begin an investigation. You know, there's a risk. Yeah, if you fly, and I've flown all over the world, when you fly, you know that moment when you're going down the terminal, you know that moment when you step onto that airplane, you ever think about that? That little small space, you step in what looks like a long, slender coffin. Long cylinder. And it always, when you step onto a plane, in that moment, your thought is, though you're more likely to be struck by a meteor than to die on an airplane, the reality is, in that moment, there is that risk. You know, you can't live life without risk. I thought to myself, well, you know, the China plane. I don't know, a few weeks ago, if you saw that airplane over in China uh, that uh, was plummeting downward, you know, just spiraling downward. For some of you in this room and getting ready to fly, you're going, I don't need this. I remember one time using these kind of illustrations, a woman came up to me afterwards. I was doing a revival. She came up crying. He said, Brother Jeff, me and my husband, it's the first time we're leaving the kids and we're flying to Denver, Colorado. And you were sharing the story about the plane that went down in Denver and she was scared to death. I remember calling her and saying, listen, why don't you come up here? Let's pray for you. And of course, she made it just fine. But there are risks. You know, sometimes when you, uh, I remember in, uh, at, at an Army graduation, 
We're airborne rangers. We're, we're doing the skydiving, and they were coming down. And these are the ones that have those chutes where they're able to guide themselves down, these airborne rangers. And I remember as they released these guys, and they were coming down, they were coming down to the ceremony there on the base, and one of them, all of a sudden, his chute was tangled up, and he was plummeting. All of his friends around him were coming down, but he was plummeting to his death. And you saw this airborne ranger, highly trained individual, calmly pulling and working those lines and he untangled it. And when that chute came open, the entire ceremony, the crowd, everybody, some were weeping and some were crying because we thought in that moment, this man was plummeting to his death right there in the middle of an army ceremony. They're risk. You know, when you get married, they're risk. And all God's people said, when you have children, they're risk. You know, old folks used to say, children that will step on your toes when they're toddlers will break your heart when they're teenagers. They're, you know, they're stepping on your toes and one day they're stepping on your heart. You know, life is filled with risk. In fact, I wrote this down. Risk is a part of life. To live life with no risk is not to live life at all. You can't live life without risk. And sometimes, one individual said this. He said, we weigh the risk. We determine if something is worth the risk. And we either, in that moment, we either decline the risk or accept the risk. You know the risk of COVID. Some people are living in complete isolation. They are filled with such fear that they have been robbed of their life. They're living in solitude, living in exclusion of all relationships, afraid to be involved in any way out in the public arena. That's your enemy. Never forget that. God has not given you the spirit of fear, as Paul said, but of power and love and a sound mind. And 365 times in the Word of God, God says, fear not, fear not. Jesus came in. He didn't say shema. He said, fear not. But some people live their lives in fear. They're afraid to take no risk at all. Is that you today? Because let me tell you something. I feel sorry for you. You will be robbed of so many opportunities to serve Christ. Some people forfeit relationships because they're afraid that they may catch COVID. How sad. Risk involves faith. You know, you have to have faith. When I get on an airplane, I have to believe that the people... Now, I always look in there. I always assess who's in the cockpit. How low they are. There's nothing better than a silver-haired looking individual sitting at the controls. It just makes me feel a lot better. If I see some guy just out of flight school, his ears are wet, or just what, I mean, you know, I just get a little nervous. I want to see who's in the cockpit. But listen, when you do that, it's a step of faith. You see, the you and I accept certain risks because we have a, a, a level of faith. We board a plane believing that the people that built that plane, that fly that plane, that service that plane, we put faith in them. You see, faith is not just in a, it's just not in an institution. It's just not in a piece of machinery. Faith is in people. It's not unusual. We believe Christianity is faith in the person of Jesus Christ. 
but it takes risk. You know, I wrote them down. You know, Jesus said, if any man will come after me, he must first what? Deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. Jesus said, in the world, you'll have tribulation. Jesus said, he said, listen, if you're going to come after me, you're going to have to leave home, father, mother, brother, sister, husband, wife. You're going to have to leave your family, and you're going to have to put me number one in your life. He said it over and over again. You're going to have to leave relationships. You're going to have to leave home. You're going to be, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to be hated for my name. You're going to be delivered up to courts. He goes over and over again talking about the risk of following him. Some people know nothing about that risk. You know, I was reading Sir Ernest Shackleton, who led the expedition to the South Pole, the first man to lead an expedition to the South Pole. He put this ad in the paper. Listen to this. He said, men wanted for hazardous journey to the South Pole. Small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful. Honor and recognition in case of success. Listen to what he went on to say. He said afterwards, after posting that ad, he said that so overwhelmingly, he said so overwhelmingly was the response to his appeal that it seemed as though all the men of Great Britain were determined to accompany him. Wow. Children in risk. You got four kids, 16 grandchildren. Children in risk. When you have children, you bring them into the world and you're standing there looking through that glass and it's sad to say that people in the medical industry continue to allow people not to be able to celebrate those moments nor are we allowed to, to be with those who are dying. It's sad, the medical world that we've created right now in our world. But when you're looking through that glass and you're seeing that newborn life as a dad, in that moment, something wells up in a man that he will protect that child no matter the cost. Something wells up in that mom when she hears the cry of that baby for the first time that causes her to abandon. You know what the, you know what the biggest sign of the coming of Christ the Bible said in the last days that love, the natural love of a mother to a child will grow cold. It's just something about having children. They're risk. This child has the ability to grow up and make you proud and to cause you to feel great pride. This child has the ability to break your heart. It's a risk. J.J. Jasper is a is a DJ disc jockey for an organization, a radio station called American Family Radio. J.J. Jasper is a delightful personality, just a beautiful character. I'd love to get him to come here. Just a, just a great guy. J.J. Jasper, years ago, I'll never forget it. The radio came on that morning. J.J. Jasper had daughters. He finally had a little blonde-headed little boy. His name was Cooper. And one day, J.J. Jasper tells this story. He said one day, his wife was at the home. It was just a beautiful day, just like today. 
He said everything was just fine. He said Cooper and his sister, if I remember, they were playing in the garage. They were doing their own little thing, riding the bikes. His wife was working in the house. And all of a sudden he told his wife, said, why don't you run on to Walmart? Why don't you run? And she didn't want to go. He said, listen, why don't you go to Walmart? You know, go ahead and take care of these errands. I'm here. And then Cooper, he said, hey, Cooper, you want to ride the, you want to ride the go-kart? Now, J.J. lived on a little farm. They had bought a little farm. They had a, they had a little pond, a little fish pond. They had, had all kinds of farming-type equipment. And they had this go-kart. And he and Cooper rode this go-kart all the time. And Cooper had these words. That little blonde-headed boy, five years of age, I think he'd look at his dad and say, flame on. And in that moment, J.J. said that he would give it the gas and he would spin it around and then they would take off. He said this particular day, Cooper didn't want to go. He said, Dad, I want to ride my bike. I want to ride my bike. He kept on, he kept on, kept on. And finally, he talked Cooper into getting into that go-kart. And he and Cooper got into that go-kart. Seatbelt on. Cooper said, Dad, flame on. And J.J. said he gave it the gas to spin it around like it always did. The wheels caught and it flipped. And he said, there it was. It was just flipped over on the side. Nothing, no big deal. He got out. He walked around to make sure Cooper was all right. Cooper was unresponsive. He pulled him out of that seat belt. He laid him out. Cooper's neck had broken and he had instantly died. J.J. Jasper said he called his wife, Melanie. When the paramedics are there, no response. And J.J. called his wife. And listen to what he said to his wife in that moment. He said, Melanie... And his voice is breaking. He said, I need you to believe everything that we've ever read in the Bible, everything that we've ever done. Everything that we've ever believed about Christ, the Word of God, I need you to believe it right now. And then he said, you're going to have to get that phone out of here. Then he said, he said, Melanie Cooper's gone. Cooper's gone. You see, the reality is, and I thought to me, you know what I thought to myself? I was sitting there reading his book, Losing Cooper, Finding Hope to Grieve Well. And I thought to myself, J.J., if you, if you hadn't have bought a farm, if you hadn't have bought a go-kart, if you hadn't have done, if you hadn't have talked your wife into going to Walmart, if you hadn't have, if you hadn't have talked Cooper into getting on the go-kart, listen, if you'd have just changed something. But you know one thing I've learned about J.J. Jasper, and he travels all over the world, Travels all over the world. He speaks, at, he speaks at clinics everywhere trying to talk women out of an abortion. He stand, he's a pro-life speaker that is beyond any other speaker that I know of. And I thought to myself, J.J., J.J., if you had just not taken those risks. My friend, let me tell you something. You take your child and you try to put them in a, on a chain and you take every risk out of their life and you may have them till they're 90. But you will have robbed them of the purpose and the plan. Multitudes, not hundreds, not thousands, perhaps millions will come to Christ because of the death of a five-year-old blonde-headed little boy named Cooper. J.J. and Melanie Jasper were on, on James Dobson's program on his show. And believe you me, it was probably one of the most watched, listened to programs that he ever had. You see, there's a cost. If we never take a risk, if we live such a safe life, one day we die and, and we're sad. 
We've messed out. We haven't been able to be used by God the way God might have wanted to use us. And here's the big question. What if we never take risk? You know, I'm going to tell you, some people are going to come to the end of their life and they're going to die and it's going to be a sad moment. I remember one time I was telling a story, Gene Harris, I, 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 was, I was preaching, telling all these stories about Africa, about England, talking about some of the things, and I, and I got through, and there were a group of senior adults back there, and they were just, they looked like they were just going to town. And I walked back there, I said, what are y'all, boy, y'all look like y'all are excited, what are y'all talking about? They all turned and looked at me, and they laughed, said, Brother Jeff, we'll say one thing about you, you lived a lot of life in a little bit of time. Oh, you don't have to fly. You don't have to go to the mission field. You don't have to go to Zimbabwe. But I can tell you this much, you'll never do what Brian and I did when we rode those, uh, wasn't that you, Brian? We rode those camels and saw the pyramids. You ain't seen nothing till you've seen a camel with John Williams on it. I love John Williams and I enjoyed so much being with him. You see, you can't live a life without risk. Paul here in 1 Corinthians is like a lawyer. And he gives two arguments. Number one, he said, if Christ is raised, then the fact of the bodily resurrection for all of us is a possibility. That's what he says. Secondly, he says, and if there is no bodily resurrection, Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead. Our faith is futile, and we are dying in our sin. Everything hangs on the resurrection. First point, a bodily resurrection. Verse 12, watch what Paul says. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? You know, I love 1 John. 1 John was written by John the Beloved. You know how he starts it off? He starts off by talking about the Word, and the Word became flesh. He talks about God. And you know what he says? He says, and we touched him, we handled him. Do you remember what Jesus did to convince the disciples that he was resurrected and wasn't a figment of their imagination he said listen he said see the wounds see the scars look at my side he said give me something to eat let me eat right now he did everything to convince them beyond a shadow of a doubt that they weren't seeing a figment of their imagination they weren't seeing a spirit they were seeing a resurrected bodily Jesus Christ and Paul said listen everything hangs on that you know the Bible teaches it my dad lost his brother, Tom, years ago. His brother, Tom, I was with Tom when he died. He was 39 years old. He died of viral pneumonia. My dad grieved and grieved over the death of his younger brother until one night he went to bed and he had a dream. He said, I dreamed that my dad, my brother, Tom, and a, and a friend of his who had also died, Charlie Ward, he said, Tom and Charlie Ward were in this unbelievable, beautiful paradise. And he said, all of a sudden, I was there with him. And he said, I looked at my brother Tom, and Tom was just this outgoing, just charismatic individual. Tom was just one of these guys. He lived a lot of life in a little bit of time. And he said, I looked at my brother, and my brother looked so happy and healthy. 
And he said, my brother looked over at Charlie Ward, his buddy who had also died. And he said, hey, Charlie, Raphael, that's what they called him. They called him Pal. Said, Pal, Raphael, he don't know where he's at. And my dad said he woke up. And my dad said, I knew then. In that moment, God had given me a glimpse of heaven to comfort a grieving heart. Isn't that powerful? You see, the Bible teaches a bodily resurrection. You may say, well, you know, why would Paul dwell on this? Because the Greek philosophers of that day, Plato, had, had created this philosophical position of dualism in which this flesh, the flesh is evil, it's bad, and the spirit needs to get set free of the flesh. So the idea here of the spirit being set free of the flesh, that was their idea of heaven. Paul said, but that's not the Christian idea. There's a bodily resurrection. Sheila and I were talking about that yesterday. I said, Sheila, imagine that. Your parents, both of them, Charlie and Frankie Tucker, are buried in a cemetery out of Morton, out in the middle of the boondocks. I said, think about it. One day, now listen to me closely. Your loved one, if they died in Christ, they are with Jesus right now. And all God's people said, amen. What did Jesus tell the thief? Today, today you will be with me in paradise. Okay? So there's no soul sleep. Your loved one right now is in heaven, and as Billy Graham said when Ruth died, he said, heaven is a busy place. They're getting ready, and they're getting ready for you and I. That ought to be comfort to you right now. Heaven's busy. Spiritually, when you die absent from the body, present with the Lord immediately. But one day the Bible says that there's going to be a bodily resurrection. And I looked at Sheila and I said, imagine that one day. Charlie and Frankie, I said, if that happened right now in this moment, in an hour that you think not, so cometh the Son of Man. Paul said, wherefore comfort one another with these words. You and I shall, we who are alive and remain shall be called up together. The word called up means to be raptured. Called up together with them in the air and so shall we ever be with them in the air. The bottom line is, is this. One day there will be a bodily resurrection. If Jesus Christ was raised, Paul said, you and I will be raised too. Look at Acts 17. I know we're, we're going to run out of time. We, but look at Acts 17, verse 32. It was pivotal to the early. Acts 17. Acts 17, verse 32. Watch what Paul says here in Athens. You remember when Paul was speaking on Mars Hill? Acts chapter 17, verse 32. Watch what it says here. It says here, this is Paul preaching to an alien, hostile Greek, philosophically uh, convinced congregation of people there at Mars Hill. But watch in verse 32, Acts 17, verse 32. When they heard about what? The resurrection of the dead, some of them did what? They sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. Listen, it is paramount to the church, but does the resurrection, is it, an, is it a New Testament belief? 
Take a left and go over to Job. I love this. Poor old Job. Look at all that he went through. In Job, in the book of Job, chapter, chapter 19, watch what Job said. To all those who've lost a loved one, Job had lost all of his children, lost his, all ten of his children, his entire family. Job had lost everything. But in Job chapter 19, verse 26, look at verse 25. Job, look at, everybody look this way. He loses his livelihood, loses his farm, loses his livestock, loses all of his children in a violent storm. He loses his health. Him and his wife are alienated from each other. She said, Job, why don't you curse God and die? Watch what Job says in Job 19.25. Before the New Testament, perhaps the first book ever written in the Bible, Job said, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end He will stand upon the earth. Now watch this. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my what? Yet in my flesh... I will see God. Isn't that great? That's an Old Testament, Old Testament understanding. Take a right from Job and go over to Ezekiel. We may not have time to get far into this, but take a right, go over to Ezekiel. I love this. Isaiah, Jeremiah, get over there to Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 37, chapter 37, way on over there, and I'm, I'm having trouble. I'm trying not to lick my fingers because I shake hands with you nasty people and no, I'm teasing. Ezekiel 37 verse 1, the hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord. He set me in the middle of a valley that was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. I saw great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy, preach to these bones, and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord said to these bones, says to the, these bones, I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life, and I will attach tendons to you. I will make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Isn't that great? Donald Gray Barnhouse, I was telling the Sunday school class, Donald Gray Barnhouse wrote a four-volume work on Romans. Tremendous Presbyterian preacher. He was at First Presbyterian there in Atlanta, Georgia, speaking to a congregation, 1960s. He said, I want you to take your Bible, and he's speaking to some of the most powerful people in the city of Atlanta. He said, I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Jonah. He watched him reluctantly going over to the Old Testament. All of a sudden, he said, stop, look this way. He said, I feel sorry for some of you. He said, because you have such a small God. He said, the thought of your God creating a fish and, 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 and swallowing a man and depositing him exactly where he wanted to be. He said, that's just more than your faith can do right now. You have a very small God. And then Donald Gray Barnhouse, he said, but I have a big God. He said, in fact, my God's so big. Now, this man's a Ph.D., one of the most brilliant theologians, Bible scholars, speaking there to the business world of Atlanta. He said, my God? He said, my God can create a fish in the Pacific. 
put wings on him, fly him across California, Iowa, Idaho, fly him across transcontinental, swoop him down, fly him right then, swoop him down into Atlanta and swallow this whole church with all of us in it and take us to England and spit us out on the coast of Great Britain. That's my God. Bodily resurrection. Do you know what Time Magazine called the DNA? They called it the Lego of God. Do you know that the, did you know that the DNA in your body is unbelievable? A computer that is beyond anything at this point mathematically that we can even comprehend billions of bits of information stored with preciseness. Do you know at this moment that the DNA and the baby that is in the womb of Molly at this moment could give us all kinds of detail and give us a glimpse into the complexity of this child that is about to be born everything personality hair color, eye color right left handed so much detail why? because God says I'm knitting together in her womb a miracle with a plan and a purpose The God that holds and is knitting in Psalm 139, knitting that baby with a purpose and a plan in such miraculous detail. Darwin said this right here and that right there. Did the development of the human eye in an unborn baby was enough to startle Darwin when it came to the theory of evolution. He said it was a million miracles at once that God that DNA and we'll stop here that DNA that omniscient sovereign God has every detail he knows the number of the hairs on your head and I don't know about you, it's not much of a challenge for me, but for some of you, I envy you because it is a great challenge to a sovereign God. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. And he knows exactly how he made you, and you can cremate your remains, and you can scatter them wherever you want. When he gets ready to call you and I out of the dust, he will do so. Jesus never attended a funeral that he did not raise the dead. And he said to his own disciples, he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Do you know him? You know, I read a story years ago. I heard it many, many times. In World War I, there was a family and their son went off to war. And they got the news that their son had been killed in action. Not, not that he was missing in action. That he had been killed. And back then communication was not good. You never knew about these things. Or what media and things like we have today. That, that mom and dad, that was their only son. That dad, Philip, that dad was a, he was a carpenter. 
He made a living with his hands. He had, he had always planned on that son to take over his business, take over his shop, take over his business, and now that son was gone. Army had come, the people had come, they had told these parents, and they just wept and wept and wept. Mom eventually began to kind of get her life back together. But every day that dad go out into that shop and he'd work and he'd just weep over those tools. He would just weep as he was building and working. And one day, true story, one day a beautiful sunshiny day. He was there at his bench and he was working. When all of a sudden that sunlight that was coming through that shop door, all of a sudden there was a silhouette, a shadow of a figure. And then he heard that sound. Dad? Dad? For a moment, the old man raised up. He looked and, and, and he, he couldn't believe it. No, he can't be. He could see the silhouette of his son. He began to walk. His son? He was thought he was seeing a ghost, but all of a sudden his, his son stepped into that doorway, stepped into that room. He was there, his, his uniform on. And he said, Dad? And he said, Son, I... And he, he just grabbed him. He began to fill up him. He began to look at him. He cradled, cradled his face. And he held his face. He looked at him. And, and he said, Son, they, they told us you were dead. He said, Dad, I'm alive. Dad, I'm alive. And that son reached and grabbed his father and he just held him and hugged him. He said, Dad, I'm alive. And Father went out screaming to the top of his lungs. My son's alive. My friend, we serve a great God who called you into existence, who created you, who knows the plans and the purposes that he has for your life. Caleb and Molly are getting excited. This baby is soon to be born and this baby is uniquely gifted and has purpose and plan and God has something that this child has been destined to do and as they consult and spend time and pray they'll begin to discern what that is but listen to me if you've lost a loved one the blueprint of that loved one is in the mind of an omniscient omnipotent omnipresent sovereign God and one day God will call that blueprint back up out of the ground. A bodily resurrection. As I say in the Shona language, as I was preaching on an Easter Sunday in Zimbabwe, when I walked to the door and the windows, Jesu, Arimu open you. And then I'd run over to this window, Jesu, Arimu Upenyu, Hunyani. In a high density area, market was busy, people were moving, and they thought this Varungu, this white man's crazy. Jesu, Arimu Upenyu. And then the invitation was given. People began to come down the aisle. Russell, a young African man, came down the aisle. His name was Kuda Kwashe. He came down the aisle. He talked with the pastor. I was standing over there. And then the pastor counseled with him, prayed with him, sat him down there, and then walked over to me. He said, Mufundis, I want to tell you what happened. He said, this young man Kuda was getting ready to take his life. 
He was drinking, he was getting ready to drink kerosene in an attempt, paraffin is what they call it there, in an attempt to kill himself when he heard those words, Jesu, Jesus, he is alive. He went on to become a leader in that church. Jesus, he is alive. Let's stand and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you and Lord, we love you and we give you all the glory. We thank you that this life may have many risks, but one risk that is worth taking is to sell out, to repent of our sin, to put our faith and trust in the resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To live out God's purpose, God's plan, to be everything that God would have us to be. If we're a parent here today, may we never fill our children, our grandchildren with fear. May we remind them that God has a purpose and a plan. May we remind them that the Bible says that He knows everything. He knows it all. May we remind them that it is appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. May we we remind them that death is an appointment that God will keep with us. We don't have to live in fear. Again, Paul told Timothy, God's not given you, Timothy, the spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. Timothy, I know whom I believe it and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And Paul was in the Mamertine prison in a hole in the ground waiting to be beheaded, and he would be. Those were Paul's last words. But one day, look this way, look up, but one day the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul will walk up to Caleb, He'll say, welcome to heaven. One day, Elijah, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel. One day, the great worship leaders of heaven, well, David, the great psalm writer, David, the great worshiper of the Old Testament, will come up and look at Jeffrey and say, man, Wasn't it fun? Wasn't it an enjoyable task of leading people to worship? And you may think, you know, I I I have um, I have I have I have I have a long life ahead of me. Dwayne Haskins, 24 years old, NFL quarterback, young African American young man, quarterback for Washington, been traded to Pittsburgh. Maybe would have took Ben Roethlisberger's place. Dwayne Haskins, 24 years old, was hit and killed in an accident. Man, it hurt. Such talent, such giftedness, gone. You never know how long you're going to be here. Is Jesus worth the risk? You better believe it. Don't live a safe life. If you live a safe life, you'll live a sorry life. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow him. You come. And all God's people said, amen. You come.